You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 1, maybe literally the most repetitive verse I've ever put on the screen for you to see. It literally says, Solomon, Song of Songs, Song of Songs. Chapter 1, verse 1. And the reason that it says that is because here in this book, Solomon wrote 1,000, over 1,000, I think it's 1,005 love songs. But this one was his favorite. So verse 1 just tells us, oh, this is from Solomon, and he loved this one. What you're going to see when we study this book is the church over the last 2,000 years has landed in two major camps. The first camp is this book is an allegory about God's love for his people. The second camp has become extremely popular for the last couple hundred years. It's the camp I would more lean into, and that is that the book is following a couple falling in love, uh, developing that love, getting married, consummating that marriage, and then working through marital relationship issues. And so we're going to take that approach, and we're going to walk through this book slowly. There's going to be parts of this that are for single people and parts of this for married people, no matter where you are on that continuum. And I just want to encourage everybody to keep coming, because even when we're talking to the single people, we're giving wisdom to the married people. And even when we're talking to the married people, we're giving wisdom to the single people. And even if you're, say, widowed or divorced, there will be so much here for you to understand and see. And that's why I want to study it. So when we get into the book, I want to give you some handles to hold on to as we're reading it so that you know what it is you're looking at. Again, Solomon wrote the book, but I don't believe this is talking about Solomon. Solomon had a thousand women in his life, 700 wives, 300 concubine. That is a lot of women. I don't think this is a story about his favorite one. It is, we've discovered over the last couple hundred years, we've discovered that this is a normal thing way back in the day. People would write these kind of poems and songs. They would use them in weddings. Yesterday, I did a wedding. It's part of the reason I dress up today. I'm like, yeah, why not? It's like a first date, right? You're going to kick off a series on marriage. Dress up, right? Look good. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. No? All right. So you wear a tie next week, and, and I won't. We'll see how it goes. All right. So Anyway, so uh, as a part of the wedding, there's all these elements, right? We're pausing to do unity candle. We're pausing to sing, and we're, we're doing all these different moments. Well, these songs are normal and then. And so you'll see sometimes, like, the woman's referred to as uh, a queen or whatever, and he's referred to as a king. It doesn't mean because Solomon is a king. It's just the language of the day and the way that it's used. In fact, you'll see three major people, maybe four, used <clears throat> in the book Song of Solomon. And if you have your Bible open or your Bible app open, you'll see it labeled in there. You'll see a she, that's the girlfriend, fiance, wife. Then you'll see a he, that's the boyfriend, fiance, husband. And then you'll see friends. And it's because there's this other voice that interjects themselves. We'll unpack that a little bit more as we go, but we'll jump between them speaking and singing and what it is they're getting into. Now, this is important because, ah, I love this book. I didn't use, I read it when I was a kid, some, you know, I was like a teenager and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Then I started understanding and I fell in love. So let's jump into what the book has for us and see if we can fall in love with the book as well. Ready? Song of Songs, chapter one, verse two, the woman speaks and she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Didn't you love this book already? Like the very first verse. <clears throat> for your love is more delightful than wine. Maybe you wine haters in the room. It's just an analogy, okay? So <clears throat> part of what we have going on here, she longs to be in his arms, to feel his touch and his presence, even his lips pressed against her. Isn't this a beautiful thing? We have lost the innocence and the beauty of a kiss. Today, uh, kissing, it's like it always has to be this full-on uh, sexualized 
hyper thing going on. And there's just this beauty and innocence of people sharing a kiss. My dad to this day, my dad is Italian. Um, that's why I'm so short and have dark hair. Anyway, my, um, my, my dad still greets my wife and I with a kiss on the cheek. He still does. And there are just cultures around the world where this is normal. This kiss is beyond that. This is kiss is beyond that kind of first kiss moment. This is a, a deeper kiss. But it does answer the question for some of you who have ever wondered, like, well, is kissing before you're married a sin or is it evil? And some of you are like, who would ever wonder that? Well, I'll get to that. But for this, yeah, it's totally not an evil thing. It's a, a good thing. It's a desirous thing. It's a way to communicate love and affection. But I do believe that our world has been way too infiltrated by pornography. So I've talked to some young men who say, I don't understand the big deal with kissing unless it leads to something else. And that may strike a little too close to home for some of you. Men, if nothing else, if you've ever thought that to yourself, for any reason you've ever thought that to yourself, keep it to yourself. Because many times... Your wife, your girlfriend, will love the intimacy and the connection behind kissing. And she's longing for that. Oh, I just want to be with you because your love is such a desirable thing. Have you ever noticed how many love songs are in the world? Like, you still have love songs from your childhood. I know if you're a child, you have them too. But you still have love songs from your childhood in your head because there's just this thing that God built when he made marriage. He knew what he was doing when he brought them together. That's why in verse 3, she goes on and she says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. <laughs> what in the world is happening here? Well, as you well know, uh, perfume can be quite uh, an aphrodisiac. It can be quite a, a draw. You ever notice, uh, I've talked to people who've lost a loved one, and they say, I can still smell them on the sheets. People just adopt a smell over time. And a lot of times that's related to the deodorant you use or the aftershave or the perfume or the cologne. Well, in this case, imagine a culture where you didn't have indoor plumbing and water heaters. Showers were not happening every day or multiple times a day or even every other day if you're a middle schooler or once a week or once a month or whatever. Like, they weren't happening all that often. And many of these people work outside with animals. So you can imagine there's a funk about us, right? And so part of what she's saying is you don't smell like funk, you smell good. And what people would do is they would go and put oil on themselves and these oils would be infused with uh, other kinds of scents like frankincense or other things that would have a strong or sweet smell that would help to compensate or overcome the funkiness and uh, it would be a sweet smell. So she's saying, you smell good, baby. You take care of yourself. Not only that, though, but when she says your name is like perfume poured out, the word for perfume here, and if you look in some of the other translations like the ESV, the KJV, the NASB, and so on, you'll see something like oil or ointment. And that's really important for understanding this because in order for oil or ointment to work, you have to have the oil come from something. Years ago, I was at a restaurant and uh, at this particular restaurant, uh, they were serving, it said on the menu, uh, extra virgin olive oil. And I'm a really curious person. And I read that and I went, how does one become extra virgin? How does that work? So when the waiter came over, I said, can you help me understand this oil that you're serving us today? And they said, oh, it's called Evu. And apparently everybody who cooks knows what Evu is. If it's not frozen, I probably don't know what it is. Anyway, so 
I'd never heard of that before. And so the person had no idea. The waiter was like, I don't know why it's called extra virgin. I'm like, so what's the order here? Is it like extra virgin and then it's virgin and then it's regular olive oil? And so then I went to Israel 18 months ago and I found out that's actually not way off. So in Israel, they have these olive trees and the olive trees are absolutely beautiful. But then they take the olives off the trees. Hey, here's one actually from when I was in Israel. And uh, this, is, this tree is as old as the time when Jesus was there. This is in Nazareth itself. So Jesus climbed that tree. I don't know if that's true. Don't take me, but that tree was there when Jesus was a kid. So then you go over and this, I did a video and I took a screenshot of the video and uh, we've got this grinder there and the grinder uh, just literally takes the oil and, or it takes the olives and it presses them. And the very first press of the olive is called the EVOO, the extra virgin olive oil. They'll press it again and they'll use that for like candles or wax and other things. They'll press it again and they'll use that for other things. So every press gets less and less and less pure. And she says, your name is like perfume. But she said, your name is like this first press. Your name is like the extra virgin olive oil. Do you get what she's saying? She's saying, your name is the real deal. You are a man of character. You are pleasing. You, you, everybody knows you. It's no wonder the young women love you. What would it look like to choose to be attracted then to a person who's living out faith in an active and vibrant way? a true follower and disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just an occasional churchgoer. Over years of being a pastor, I've done a number of weddings. Sadly, I could say some of them are going strong and some of them don't exist. There's been debate about what the actual number of divorces in America is, but I do know this. Everybody who's been through a divorce, you never went onto the stage to get married and thought, you know what? I think we got a good five years in us. Right? You were infatuated with love. You longed for their kisses. You believed that this was gonna last a lifetime, but then it just happened. Things got hard. And sometimes things got hard because the person you picked turned out not to be a person of character. Sometimes you rushed into it and you didn't go slow and wait and see what was gonna happen. Sometimes they changed. Sometimes both of you changed. But whatever it is, if you wanna have a marriage that lasts a lifetime, I'm telling you, choose to only be attracted to people of great character. This <clears throat> summer, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll get, leave off some details so nobody can pinpoint who I'm talking about, though I don't know, I don't know if anybody would know you, but Indiana's a small town. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so I was sitting in a circle, and it was uh, mostly 20-somethings in that range, like 18 to 32. I know I stretched a little bit in that range, and then there were some of us uh, not in that range who were sitting there among them. And uh, they're just talking about life in general and da-da-da, and this one couple's engaged and they're gonna get married. This other couple is seriously dating. And this one girl's like, I am marryable. Why won't a man marry me? And then she goes on to tell her story. And as she's unpacking her story, uh, I'm just listening, kind of taking it in. I don't know everybody, so I'm trying to keep my mouth shut. I'm not good at that, in case you don't know me. And so sooner or later, I can't help it if I speak up. And so I'd ask some questions, and we're dialoguing. And I, and I didn't address there in that moment, but there was this arrogance about her She's going through these different men that she's dated and they all broke off for one reason or another and as she's unpacking them, some of them were the most trivial things in the world. But who cares if they don't do that well? Do they love Jesus? And that became really emotional for her because she did love Jesus. But she could honestly say most of the time she was picking guys who 
honestly weren't crazy serious about their faith. But she wanted it to work out because of how much money they made or she wanted it to work out because of how good looking they were, how nice they took care of their body or the kind of car that they drove. But they didn't really deeply love Jesus. And I said, look, I don't, I don't know you. I'll probably never see you again with my luck. She's listening to this and knows exactly what I'm talking about. But um, I said, I want you to picture Jesus is here. And you're going to run after Jesus as hard and as fast as you can. And the closer you get to Jesus, if you're looking for a spouse who's doing the same thing, then guess what? You're both going to draw closer to him. But as you draw closer to him, what happens to you? Right? So if you find yourself running this race and you're pursuing Jesus and you have to turn around and look to see somebody back here, ignore it, turn back around and keep running after Jesus. If they're worth your time and attention, they'll run harder and faster and catch up. If they're not worth your time and attention, they'll never even try. You can't make someone try to love Jesus. Either they try to love Jesus or they don't. Let it go if they don't. And I know it's hard and make it sound like it's easy and lives that there's a million fish in the sea. There aren't. There's billions of fish in the sea and not many of them love Jesus. And you'd be better off being single and happy with Jesus than married and miserable. Trust me. So, I hope you're clapping because I'm right, not because you need marriage counseling. But let's just, <laughs> let's just keep going. So, because the opposite can be true too, right? So like, let's say that you're here and you're attracted to this person. You're like, oh my goodness, their heart for Jesus, but they would never give me the time of day. Run faster. When I met my uh, bride, um, now my bride, but at the time she was dating somebody else and uh, I think I was coming out of a relationship, but I thought, man, a girl like that would never date me. I wasn't always a good guy. I always loved Jesus, but it was complicated. I dated a lot of girls in high school. And I remember for a year, I prayed like, God, one day, would you help give me a woman just like that? Not her, because I'll mess that up. Just give me somebody just like her that I don't care about as much and I won't mess up. And as I prayed that prayer some more, I just, God kept changing my prayer and changing my prayer and changing my prayer till I was like, God, would you make it work out with her? I, I wanted to run harder and faster so that I could be the kind of guy that my wife would look at and say, yeah, I'd like to spend my life with him. The closer you get to Jesus, if you look over and see somebody there running beside you, just pay attention. <laughs> but see, that creates this other question for us. Are you known as a person of godly character? How, how's your smell? I don't mean literally, right? <laughs> Do you smell like Evu? Do you smell like what other people look around, they say, man, that, that's a good man, that's a good woman. Because it's easy for us to focus on the other person and say, God, yeah, I want to you know, marry a person just like that. But when that person does come into your life, would they even pay attention to you? Because if they wouldn't, it might be because you just need to run harder after Jesus. I love this quote from Tommy Nelson, the book of romance. Uh, highly recommend the book on the Song of Solomon. We're going to be using it throughout the series. But he says this, so often today, girls will say about a guy, He's a real hunk. Now, I'll just say this. This book's about 10 years old. I don't know any girl <laughs> who says that today. But you can insert a better word, all right? Anyway, so often today, girls will say about a guy, he's a hunk. The question begs to be asked, a hunk of what? There's nothing wrong with being handsome and appealing. But the real issue is not whether a man is good looking, but whether a man is looking for what is good in God's eyes. Nothing is more discouraging for a woman than to be married to a man whom she discovers later 
she would not want as a waiter. So I, I talked to one couple, uh, actually, I talked to one half of one couple after the service, and I said, they said, hey, that was really good. It sparked some good conversation. You know, my spouse was taking notes on the phone or whatever, and just I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, you know, was that good? And they said, oh, yeah, this one quote. And uh, he said, would, you, would, would, would I be better than a waiter? And she's like, yeah, except for I feel like you'd forget most of my order. I wasn't sure <laughs> what to make of that in their marriage, but <laughs> I thought it was funny. All right. So I want to show you a story in the book of Genesis. We unpacked Genesis a year ago. I don't have time to unpack all the questions you might have about this story. You can go back and listen or read it for yourself. Genesis, uh, and what's happening here, though, is we have Father Abraham. And Father Abraham has really one promised son. His name is Isaac. And uh, it's time now. Isaac's no longer a boy or a young man. He's now of marrying age. And so Abraham sends his servant back to his homeland, because Abraham is nowhere near home. And none of the people where Abraham is living love God. And Abraham's like, look, I need a woman who loves God. So I want you to go back, and I want you to look for a wife suitable for my son. I want you to go back to my family. That's the part I don't have time to unpack right now. And I want you to go back and find somebody among them that would be good for my son. Well, the servant's quite anxious. He loves Abraham, he wants to please him, and he wants to please the Lord. And so what we find in Genesis 24 is he travels to Abraham's uh, hometown, and he starts to pray to God. And it says in verse 12, then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, Please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So a few things I want you to notice. Abraham's given a massive task to find the spouse for this young man. And when he goes, he doesn't just start interviewing. What's the very first thing that he does? He prays, he prays. Are you praying for your spouse? In fact, when was the last time you prayed for your spouse and trusted that God is working on it for you? So let me just break this down real quick. So like literally, I pray on a regular basis for my son's future wife. I don't know if they're gonna get married and I don't wanna put the burden on them. We're actually gonna do a, series, a message in this series on singleness as a calling from God. But God may call my sons to be single, but since I don't know that, I just pray. Sometimes I pray that, God, I don't know your plans for my kids, but I pray for their wife, where they are. Would you help them to know you right now? Would you prepare them and bless them? If there's something evil happening in their life, would you protect them and begin to heal them, God, so that they'll be best prepared to meet my sons? I'm praying that now, and I believe God's hearing every single one of those prayers. Guess what? If you're married, do you ever pray for your spouse? Sometimes my wife and I are having an issue and believe it or not, we have issues too, just like everybody else. Sometimes I'll go over her head and I'll just start praying, God, would you change her heart and mind about this? She's absolutely wrong. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> I often have to go to repent to my wife because God revealed that I was wrong. It's crazy. <laughs> and sometimes he reveals she was wrong too. But I mean, I'm being serious, guys. If God created marriage, I didn't say this last service. I'm gonna say this a million times in the series because I think it's so powerful. Take that same triangle now and put it onto the stage. I get to represent Jesus in a wedding because I'm the pastor, right? I'm a little shorter than he is, but you get the idea. And you got the couple, the couple, you got me, and you got all the people witnessing. 
There's a reason why all this is happening. Without going into all the things, when I do a wedding, I make the couple make a pledge to God before they make a vow to each other. Because in a marriage, we're building a covenant, not a contract. A contract is between two parties, where if one of them doesn't keep up their end of the deal, the other one could say, I'm out. A covenant involves a third party, that's God. And God is there to say, even if he doesn't keep his end of the bargain, even if she doesn't keep her end of the bargain, you promised me you would stay in this to the very end. And so then God says, no, I didn't just say that and get out of it. No, 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 I will stay actively engaged, actively involved, trying to change their heart and their mind to unify with me and you. Because if there's brokenness here, I promise you the brokenness started here, not here. Now, what happens next in the story? Before she had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. The woman was a very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She is an extra virgin. I mean, she is, she is good to go. I love that the text is celebrating that. I love that. And she's got this jar on her shoulder. She's beautiful. She's got the character, but we're going to learn more about her. She went down to the spring. She filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So a few things. He prayed. He was very specific in his prayer, right? I want him to drive a, a Mustang. I want him to be about six feet tall. I want him to have blonde, curly hair. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. But he was like, God, how would I even know if I ran across the right woman? How would I know? He said, let me put some actions in place. Is she hardworking? Is she good? Is she faithful? Is she kind? Is she generous? I mean, he's looking at character traits and he came up with a way to identify her character traits so that when she did it, he's, then he, what did he do? He prayed first, then he watched. Then he watched. He watched her closely to learn, to learn. Way, way, way too many people are not getting married after enough time. It takes about 10 to 12 months before you start showing people you're crazy. You got crazy, <laughs> I got crazy, my wife married crazy. We all, we all got crazy, right? And it's around 10 to 12 months in a relationship when you start to be you and you stop putting your best foot forward all the time. And when that happens, now the real evaluation period begins. Now you can really see who is this person under stress? Who is this person on a bad day? Who is this person we've had a fight? Are they willing to admit that they're wrong? Now beyond that, are they people of character? Do they love Jesus? Not just do they go to church once in a while, but not just they go to church all the time. Are they engaged with God's church? Are they seeking after the Lord? And if they aren't, don't dismiss miss it. Look for a spouse whose words and actions line up and be crazy cautious when they don't. Crazy cautious. Because what happens is all that kissing stuff from verse one or two starts to kick in and we start, we just literally, we stop thinking from the neck up and we just start thinking about everything else that we want in life and we miss the more important things. 
I was talking to my friend who's a Bible college professor, and I was asking him some questions about miracles, actually, and I won't go too deep into that conversation, but he said the most profound thing, and I was, it just stuck with me. He said, Matt, have you ever noticed that in your marriage, he said, how long have you been married? My 24th anniversary is tomorrow. Woo! Yeah, thank you. We made it! Okay, so I keep waiting for her to trade me in on a newer model, but she sticks with me, so, you know, anyway focus. He said, um, have you noticed in the early stages, there was all this passion and excitement? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, but then you, you've been married, right? 24 years. And, and, and it, that passion and excitement, it, it doesn't exist like it did. And I said, yeah. He said, is that a bad thing? I said, well, I don't think it is. And he said, I don't either. He's like, you need to pursue your wife. She needs to pursue you. That's relationship 101. But what happened is the deeper you got to know each other, the deeper your relationship with her went. And he said, do you remember when you came to faith in Jesus? You were at camps and retreats, right? And there was all this high, and yeah, it was, it was exciting, yeah. Is it bad that you don't have that all the time? Well, no, not at all. Part of what I want to say to you is we get really excited about all that energy, and then what happens is people say, well, I fell out of love with them. But what they really mean is, I don't have all that initial excitement. And somebody else comes into my life and they start to show me that attention. They start to make me feel all those butterflies again. And I get really excited and I start to feel like, ooh, that's love. Now that's just stage one, step one of love. I hope in your marriage, again, 24 years, right? I'm just gonna call it and give myself the extra day. I hope after 24 years, my wife and I still have those moments. But there's a deeper thing that God is aiming for, a more beautiful thing. The other day, uh, some, one of my kids said something. I looked at my wife. I never said a word. I didn't even make a face. I just looked at her. I said, you know what I mean? She said, yep. <laughs> I had to leave. She went and handled it. And my son, that night when I put him in bed, he said, how did mom know? I said, bud, I've been married 24 years. And he said, what, 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 what did you do? I said, I know her. Do you know the biblical word for sex is the word know? When you get to the Old Testament, especially your King James, and it says, and he went into the tent to know her. That's what it's saying. But it's because that passion and excitement, that was never the end game. The end game was deep, intimate connection. So if you're evaluating that passion and excitement, it has to be part of it. It's verse two. It's the first verse. But it can't be all of it. And if their character doesn't line up, let it go. <laughs> Verse five, she says, dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Two things are happening here. The first one has to do with her character. She has celebrated his evu, right? The fact that he's a man of character. But beyond his evu, now we're seeing that she is a woman of character too. She's fit for this guy, right? They're both chasing after something. Because she says, my brother, she says, my mom's sons, my brothers made me work in the field. And because of that, I wasn't able to take care of my own body. So my skin has been baked by the sun. Do you see it? That's what she's saying. But what it tells you is she's a woman of great integrity. She's out there with all of that work. She's a hard worker. 
Even read Proverbs 31, it talks about what a great woman looks like. One of the things that's celebrated in there is all the things that a great wife can do. She is, she is an assistant, she's an aide, she is a great hard worker. Let's apply this to both men and women. If you are dating somebody who is lazy, I don't care if they're male or female, drop it. If, again, injuries are one thing, right? We all got issues or seasons or sickness or whatever, right? When I did my surgery, and was on my bed, my backside for 10 weeks. Like nobody was making, like it was accepted, right? It was a season. And when the season was over, I had to get my backside back to work. But if you're dating somebody who's lazy, don't ignore that. So number one, she's celebrated. She's a woman of character. But the consequence of that is she's crazy insecure, Men, have you ever met a woman who in no way was insecure? I know there are some. So please don't uh, feel insecure if you aren't feeling insecure. (laughs) But she's looking at all the other women and going, I don't look like them. But it's because of her character. I don't have time to do all the primping and the prepping and all the other things that, you know, the people on TikTok and the social medias do today because I'm working hard to do things that are honoring to God. Verse seven, tell me, she says, you whom I love, where do you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday? Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? So a veiled woman would be similar to a prostitute. And part of what she's saying is, Tell me how to find you. Tell me where I can go to meet you. But I don't want to change my character and my convictions to win you. Oh, man, that's powerful. So I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Do not be willing to compromise on your convictions. Don't compromise it. If you're dating somebody, if you're in a relationship with somebody and they want more from you than you believe God has told you to give and they won't meet you where you are, walk away. Make them change and catch up to you or be ready to be single and let God bring you the person you're looking for. But become the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. If you drop your standards to meet somebody where they are, you will always get further from God. Always. And his response in verse eight is beautiful. If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. And this is where I'm gonna close. I wanna say two things here. Number one, she's insecure about how she looks and he says, oh, most beautiful of women. One of my greatest mistakes as a husband, so men learn from my pain, is uh, I don't, always take what's in my head and put it into my mouth. So I would be at church before Rachel would be because I had to for my job and she would get up in the morning and she'd get all dolled up and I'd see her and in my head I'd think, man, that woman looks beautiful today. But I'd see her and say, hey baby. Yeah, the ladies are laughing. It's not that funny though. It took me a long time. And then I just wanna encourage you men, the more specific you can be, the better. I like your hair, I love your earrings. I'm not gonna say all the things you could think of, but the more specific you can be, the better. Get it out of your head and into your mouth. And if it's not in your head, you need to make it in your head. You need to think about 
what it is that's beautiful about her and you need to tell her. I talked to one gentleman who, um, he's both married and has a daughter, and he was like, man, it's like, it's like they forget what I've said. Like, I try to tell them, like, you're beautiful. And it's like, it's like I tell them and it's not enough. It's like, I gotta tell them again. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> have you noticed, it says in Genesis that God made them male and female. So God put part of who he is in maleness and part of who he is in femaleness, and those two things are not the same. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, because he made them to complement each other. However, I believe part of what God put in femaleness is that. You ever notice that God loves to be worshiped and that we gather like every seven days to worship? Could you imagine showing up at church next Sunday and being like, God, eh, I've already told you. And God would say, told me what? <laughs> uh, you know how much I love you. I said it once 10 years ago. Don't make me say it again. But see, I think way too many men, you do this. Well, I married you, didn't I? I go to work every day, don't I? I mean, I bought you a birthday present. What do you want from me? Most beautiful of women. That's what she wants from you. Open your mouth. Put it into words. And if you're not good with words, fine. Write it down. If you don't write, who cares? Find a way that connects with her heart and get it out. You are beautiful. You're stunning. I love you. There's no woman in the world like you. I'm so glad that God gave me you. You, above all, are my greatest gift. Find a way to say it and say it. Buy her a card. Buy her flowers. Take her on a date. Do whatever you got to do. But say it. Wives, you can make checks out to Matt Nickerson at. <laughs> so listen, it's critical, it's critical. The reason we do this is I'm standing there doing this wedding and I'm giving a charge to the, to the groom and to the bride. And I said, look, be Jesus to each other in your marital work. Be Jesus to each other. To the bride, the woman used for bride in Genesis is Azer Konegdo. And it's only used to describe God in the Bible. And, uh, it's because you will be a great helper. You will be like a pickaxe sharpening and chipping away at all the hard, rough parts of his life. He will become softer and more tender in ways he didn't even know he needed to. And then I said to him, just realize you will be a shepherd and a leader in her life. Care for her. Shepherds protect and provide. Listen, my challenge to all of you is look for a spouse who supports and honors you like Jesus does his children. You do that, you'll make it. You'll make it. And that's where I want to take us now. So would you do me a favor? Take out your communion cup. Psalm 78, verse 52 and 53 says this. But God brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. He guided them safely so they were unafraid. What God longs to do in all of us is lead us, care for us, and make us unafraid. So here's where I want this to land. I want you to focus on this during communion today. Let's just say right now, um, I'm going to go through a couple quick categories. Let's just say you're divorced. I want you to understand, however you got here, however you got here, that God desires to lead you, to lead you. Spend this communion time submitting your flesh to following his lead. Let's say you're married and your marriage is in a hard place. I want you to spend this time right now asking God to help you love your spouse the way that Jesus loves you. It might be patience or grace or mercy, forgiveness. 
Ask God to change your heart. Ask him. Actually put it into words and ask him. Let's say you're married, and we've all married people have issues time to time, right? But you're in a, you're in a good place. You're in a healthy place. I want to encourage you to spend this time praying for your spouse. Ask God to bless them, use them, to love them, to care for them, to give you wisdom and insight to how best to meet them in this place. And let's say you're single. I want you to pray for whether God has called you to be single. And if so, how do I draw nearer to you in this season? And if you desire to be married, pray that God would prepare that other person in this season. I'll start a prayer and I'll hand it to you. Jesus, uh, you're a good shepherd and you long to lead us. And so wherever we are in this room, God, uh, I, I forgot to mention my widowed friends. God, let's just say my widowed friends in this room too, Father. I just pray that you would lead all of us, minister to us. You're a good shepherd. So Lord, if we need discipline, discipline us. If we need correction, correct us. If we need cared for and ministered to and served, God, would you do that? But whatever it is, Lord, we thank you for your word that is so clear and convicting. So just meet us in this place now in Jesus' name.